My name is David Martinez, and today we're going to talk about how I was robbed at Knife Point in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, I was in Tanzania, and I had this group of people that I had made friends with. And as we were gathering friends, we planned this like meal that we were going to bring everybody together for. And so we cooked the meal and uh, it took some time longer than I thought because I'm a Western person. I wanted to be on time. Nobody else cared. But uh, the meal's finally ready. And I've misunderstood these two words, the word for it's ready and the word for it's finished. Um, so I came out to this group of people who are now hungry with their children waiting for dinner. And I say, all oh, the food's finished. And they kind of look around like, what do you mean finished? Like what they're understanding is it's gone. It's, they're late. They haven't eaten a thing. I come out and say, the food's gone. Uh, and that was like the start of the night. So <laughs> finally, some other person comes much wiser than me and describes that you have just made a mistake. <laughs> they're all uncomfortable now. Tell them the food's ready and let them eat. We eat, and I, I'm assuming this next part, like this will be culturally, contextually appropriate. I play the movie The Lion King in Tanzania, thinking this is going to be perfect. We're all going to understand the story. We uh, get to this scene where Mufasa dies, and as he is like lulled over, and that poor little lion is like crying over his dad, and like, I'm emotional. It's a sad part of the movie. They all start busting up laughing just hysterically laughing at the potential that a baby lion is crying about his daddy. And I felt so uncomfortable. I didn't know what to do. All of this realizing there's so much about traveling that catches you off guard. There's so many opportunities you have to learn that you don't know nearly as much as you think you do. Yeah, especially around translations too. I wonder if that's why so many people are a little apprehensive at trying to learn a foreign language? Is, mm -hmm. it, is, it, is there a part of it that's like, I might make a mistake, I, I can never get this right, so I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna even try. You at least tried, right? There's an effort there to learn their language and to, and to say something that they're gonna understand. So I commend you, that's, that's great. Yeah, you should, you should do that. I, there are, yeah, there are a lot of things that happen. There's a, a classic story in Spain. I, nobody knows, well, I don't know if this is true or not. It's been told by so many missionaries and pastors, but the word for embarrass, um, in, in Spanish is avergonzar, right? But when you're learning the language, you're learning Spanish, you learn, you know, this idea of cognates or there's also false cognates, words that sound the same, you know? And so it's very common to translate the word embarrass as embarazar, right? Which means to be pregnant, mm. to make somebody pregnant. So there's this classic story of a, you know, of a, of a pastor who invites this a North American woman to to come and speak in front of the church, you know, and and she comes up all flustered and and she says in Spanish she says I, I'm very I'm very embarrassed, but really she says I'm very pregnant, and it's the pastor's fault, <laughs> you know, and so right, so these these mistranslations I suppose can cause for problems, but they're mostly funny. Uh, I always encourage people to try to learn the language. And these stories, are they make for great stories. And right? it makes for a huge amount of like purchasing power for relationships. Yes. And when you can come into a different place, you get the opportunity to be a learner. And everybody feels ready to help. I mean, most of the time, 
If you need someone to teach you how to speak the most rudimentary kinds of things, you change the power structure and you allow someone else to be your teacher. And that, that I can't tell you how many times that's changed the dynamic between awkward situations. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious, did this experience make you, uh, did it cause you to hesitate learning more of the language or when you were in a different context to learn the language or were you just like, this happened, this was funny, I'm still going to try to learn the language? I, I think for me, it helped me to dive deeper into making mistakes. It helped me to realize I can make friends by making a fool of myself. Sometimes there was one time where I was in a language school learning Swahili and um, my wife and I were in this school together. She had gotten sick for a couple of weeks and so she was gone right about the time a new student came. And as um, my wife came back after she was feeling better, he hadn't met her yet. So he's asking me, who is this? Is this your sister? And I'm learning Swahili. I'm, I don't know the word for wife yet. So I know the word love and I know how to reciprocate love like we love each other. And so I, I use this word. No, we love each other. Tuna pendana. Uh, if you use the wrong vowel there, tuna pendana versus tuna pandana, uh, it changes the whole sentence to, uh, no, 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 no. We climb on each other. <laughs> oh, oh, you know that lady. And again, that gets a big laugh. And everyone in the school remembers that story. And so now when I enter the school, I have friends. Charles Kraft wrote an article long, 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 long time ago. <clears throat> he was a uh, missiologist. And one of the things he says, he, the article is called The Viable Missionary, Learner, Trader, and Storyteller. And the, the emphasis, the ethos of the whole story is if you cannot become a teacher to other peoples, but become a learner, you're viable. Hmm. If you cannot be a seller of like some kind of religion, but instead become a trader, like this is what I understand. This is what I have. What, what do you have? Help me hear your offering. Or if you be, can be a storyteller, this is what happened to me. What happened to you? All of a sudden, this is the making of viable friendships, viable yeah. relationships. And to be a learner starts with language. Seems like that would be a really good place to start. I make a point of trying to learn a little bit of the language phrases, you know, typical phrases like uh, please, thank you, you're welcome, those sort of things. But then my part of my personality, I, I learn phrases like, you know, when I was in Ethiopia, for instance, I learned how to say, you know, hello, how are you? And so forth. But I also learned how to say, stay away from her. She's my wife. <laughs> you know, I was traveling with my with my. She wasn't even my wife at the time. I just it was too complicated to try to figure out my future wife. You know, I actually proposed to her in, in Ethiopia. But, but that that simple phrase, it, it got such a reaction. There was a, you know, there's humor. They were laughing. And right away, immediately, there's a there's a connection with with people. They laugh and. I always tell students, you know, learn the language, but but don't stick to these formalities. Uh, learn, like, try to learn your your personality. You know, mm -hmm. your like the kinds of things you would do, right? And I've had great success. My I, my, my friend in Taiwan, I, I always laugh because he he would learn the phrase. Um, he's not wearing any underwear. <laughs> is the phrase that he would learn in all these different <laughs> languages. And so one time, we we're at his house, and and I was at his house, and I was heading back home to my house, my apartment, and I got in the taxi and he told the taxi driver in Mandarin, he tells him, he's not wearing any underwear. <laughs> and I didn't know what he said at the time, but I remember the taxi driver going, you know, looking at me like, first of all, why? And secondly, why do I need this information? Right. But again, just learning the language, you know, text ever loved you guys. <laughs> I learned, I try to learn little phrases like that everywhere I go. Uh, I don't What's know your go to phrase? Right. Like, what are your, like for, for Mandarin? 我很帅, 注意有一块的一天, 
I don't know if I'm saying it right. I might not be. But what I heard it means is I am handsome and it was a lovely flight. <laughs> nice. Uh, in Spanish, when I first went to Mexico, I remember I'd, I just learned this one phrase. Uh, uh, yo quiero hablar español. ¿Por qué Jesucristo ama a las personas que hablan español? Okay. That's it. I want to learn Spanish because Jesus loves people who speak Spanish. And that's what I say to everybody I meet. Every single person. I, I totally agree with you. If you have something that can be personal and unique, something that's like kind of you, it really opens people up yeah. and it makes your adventure way more lovely. Yeah. And even if you, if you butcher it or get it wrong, I remember when I was in Vietnam, I learned how to say, or I tried to learn how to say, um, hello, how are you? And I can still remember, bang ho hui hao, but I never got it right. Mm. Never. There's something like seven tones in Vietnamese and never. And I would always try and then you know, with the confused looks and I would say, no, no, I'm trying to say, hello, how are you? And they would respond with the correct way of saying it. And then I would try to mimic it for three weeks. I tried and I never got it right. But just that effort, I yeah. think was enough to try to, to um, get into the culture. But these are mis these are miscommunications or possible, we could call them misadventures, you know? And again, I, I wonder if this is part of why people are hesitant to learn a foreign language, but it, but there are also you know, there, when you travel, bad things happen, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it's not all funny. Maybe it's when you live, all... bad things happen. When you live, yes. Okay, fair enough. Um, so we're talking about some sort of lighter. These these aren't really, your life was never in danger, right? Because you you told them that, that apparently you had eaten the entire dinner. <laughs> yeah, finished. Right? <laughs> Have you been in a situation where a miscommunication or, or misadventure was not yeah, there's some times where things get scary or sad. And um, when I was, let's see, I, I was working one day um, from our compound. My wife went to go pick up our kids from school. And as she's coming down through the village with the kids in the car, she has this kind of, you know, sometimes you get this eerie sense about a, about a moment in your life. And she got that kind of eerie sense. And she just kind of stopped the kids and the conversation, you know what, let's just say a quick prayer. I said a prayer, I went through the village, took the corner to our neighborhood and uh, pulled over at the local grocery store just to stop and get, I think she was getting a loaf of bread, a can of soda and a tub of margarine. And as she got out of the car, she was a few cents short, she turned back to get the change out of the car and somebody hit her in the back with something. Like, and it was not hard enough to really do terrible damage, but it was more than a friendly nudge. She turned around and there was a gun in her face. And this terrible moment ensued where <clears throat> the, I mean, the gun was fired several times, lots of foul language and attack kind of verbally and threatening to kill. And I remember that feeling when I got the phone call because I wasn't there. You know, and I, I think I'd had this perception that I could keep myself and my children and my family safe at all costs. But this moment called that, all that into question. Um, and it, the, the story goes on. It's a long, perilous story. But the end of the story is I realized that I don't get the right to make sure my family is safe. That's not my job or my responsibility. There's other things that are. And I think that's part of the question. Like, what am I in control of? Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a, a pretty scary story. You're talking about being assaulted with a gun in a foreign country, right? Yeah. How do you then continue to travel? Or how do you 
This is in Tanzania, I presume. Tanzania. Have you been back to Tanzania? You stayed, you were there for what, eight years? That was part of the job, was to realize if we leave right away, we'll never come back. Mm. So we decided to stay. We're going to heal here in Tanzania. And then when we're ready, go back home for a visit when we choose to go for other reasons. I'm interested, uh, curious to know, I had an experience, not quite, yeah, you must have experiences like this too. I, yeah, I had. I was not, I was robbed at knife point in in Brazil, which after hearing about a, you know, having a gun in your face at the time, you know, having a knife on your chest, it's kind of weird, it's traumatic. I, I don't want that experience ever again. Uh, but you know, it was I'd been in Brazil for a couple of days. We were in Rio, and the guidebook very clearly said, "Don't walk around at night on the beach." It was eight p.m. at night. You know, to me, that's not night. I was, you know, I was. I guess a, a situation where I misread or misinterpreted what night meant, you know? So 8 PM, we, I get robbed and, and you have, you carry money in different pockets. You carry your things in different pockets so that you never lose all of it. Right. And so I took out, I think it was like 20, $30 and he took it and, and ran off. But part of what, what I'm curious to know the fallout of your story, for instance, is how do you tell, how do you then tell that story to, for instance, Americans who have this idea or this perception of, Tanzania, maybe as a dangerous place. I was very conscious of, you know, be very careful how I tell this story because people, they love these stories. They love the stories where you almost die. There's kind of like this, wow, oh my goodness, Hollywood you survived. Helps with that. Yeah, yeah, right. But but that also helps to shape their impression, especially somebody who's never been to Brazil. Now they have this idea of, you know, people running around the beach with knives, you know, like right. um, robbing people. So, and when you tell the story, I imagine you must have told your family or people back in the United States, how does that shape their impression of We had Tanzania? to think long and hard about how we talked about it with people, how we talked about it with our kids, how we talked about it with uh, people locally and at home. But I think the important piece for us was to start to respond to some of the concern coming from the West, right? Get home now. Get back here right now. Maybe you, like even hearing some folks say like, maybe you misheard God's call in the first place. Maybe you never should have gone there. And again, well-intentioned, painful things to say. Um, we had to decide that, like like I was saying, we, we're not in control of where it is safe. We're in control of what we do re wherever we are. So uh, <laughs> I had some friends from Australia and we were having this kind of conversation about before we went to Tanzania, a lot of my friends and family would say things like, are you sure you want to take your kids there? That is super dangerous. I hear like I've heard stories about, et cetera. Um, and so I was telling my Australian friends this and they started kind of laughing at me. Like, what's so funny? And they said, we took our kids one day, one season to L.A. for vacation from Australia. And we had the same story. All of our parents and friends were like, you're taking your kids there. It's they have guns there. Everybody has a gun in America. You can't take your kids there. It's and not it, safe. Yeah. <laughs> and that feels like, a, I mean, Portland's not safe sometimes. There's some alleys in Newburgh that I don't want to walk down. Uh, but I guess that maybe that's another question to answer. At what point do you get to decide to enter into risk and it's worth it? And at what point do you say, yeah, I don't want to do that? Or at what point do you say... It's like, like you said earlier, like life, things happen in life. Things could happen here in the United States. They happen here in Newburgh, like you said, in Portland. But similarly in Brazil, I, the next four days, this is the other part of the story. The story goes on. Uh, we were, I was robbed. And the next day we are welcomed into somebody's house 
where for the next four days just showered with hospitality. Mm. You know, we were given an apartment, my friend and I, and we could live in this apartment for free, uh, took us to dinner, showed us all of the spots and, and just took care of us and introduced us to all of his friends and to be showered with that kind of hospitality for four days. But it's always interesting when I tell these stories to people because they're, they're still more interested in the getting robbed at knife point. And, and I've always wondered, you know, does that story make you less likely to, to go to Brazil as opposed to hearing about four days of being showered by hospitality? Wouldn't that make you want to go to Brazil? Like, you know, 10 minutes versus four days, it's clear to me, right? But, you know, going, on, going off of that, this past summer I was in Spain. I, I, we took, my wife and I, we took our family. There was a family reunion and we find ourselves in, in Barcelona. It's like a three-day uh, time at the beach. It was supposed to be just us, just our family. We had been with extended family. And then we were about to join other friends for another two or two or three weeks in the French Riviera in, in France. So this was like three days on the beach and just north of Barcelona. And we were robbed. Uh, mm. This is my country. This is where I grew up. I grew up in Barcelona. Uh, and we were we had rented an Airbnb. We went to the beach. It was noon. My wife went to Barcelona to visit with a friend. I was at the beach with my kids. And three hours later, we go back to the house, and somebody had busted the door open, destroyed the door, gone through all of our things. Of course, my kids, they were a little bit shooken. Shaken? Shooken? <laughs> Both are Shaked? right. I don't know. Both are grabbing. <laughs> they were, are they really? Okay, yeah. great. They were, <laughs> it's, it's kind of jarring, you know, to have a stranger kind of go through your things. Their clothes was all, they were all over the place. They'd gotten some money from their aunts that was missing, you know, 20, 30 euros. Of course, I went straight to the passports, you know, passports are here. Okay. The rest of it we can deal with, but if the passports are missing, then we have to go, you know, deal with the embassy and all that. But then we had this really interesting conversation with my kids because they started saying things like, uh, I can't wait to go back and tell my friends that we were robbed. And, uh, and it was this great opportunity to say, to have a conversation around, be careful how you talk about this, because a lot of people have never been to Spain. And if this is the first story you tell them, this is going to shape how they perceive or how they view Spain. And remember that, yes, we were robbed, but don't forget too that for the next, actually that very same day, so many people came and showered us with help, with hospitality, with, you know, um, some friends of ours came up from Barcelona and took them to their house, my kids, right? So that Susanna and I, my wife and I could deal with this busted door, you know, that we had to then figure out and contact the Airbnb people and so forth and just showered with hospitality again. And so it was really cool to see my kids come back to the States and hear the story from their perspective. And mm -hmm. they did. And they talked about, we were robbed, but... <laughs> Listen, let me tell you about all of the people who helped us. Let me tell you how wonderful and how, you know, how amazing the experience was. And so, again, bad things happen when you travel, but you still got to travel. Well, and that's, it sounds like what you're, what I hear you saying is the world's good. Absolutely. Life is good. Yes. And bad things happen. And that's, that's all over. One of the things that I uh, decided to do when I started moving from place to place, city to city, is to wake up early the first morning and take a jog through whatever town I'm in. And something about um, before the sun comes up, walking on the streets, jogging through town, seeing it from a different perspective as the sun comes up and as people come out of their dwellings to start the day, all of a sudden it's earth. It's not uh, Africa, right? It's it's the place I am right now. It's not Barcelona. And all of a sudden, I'm not a tourist too, right? I'm just a person on the earth that's living a moment. And when you're seeing travel like that, all of a sudden, 
you realize there are dangerous things in Newburgh and there are dangerous things elsewhere. What are you going to do about it? You should travel. You should go on an adventure. You should know ahead of time that there are risks and that you're okay with that. And I, 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 how do you, what did you do? How did you overcome that with the knife? At the time? Yeah. I gave them the money. <laughs> <laughs> and this, I tell people, yeah, because I hear stories of people trying to, I don't know, not give them the money. There, there's nothing that you own that is worth, you know, your, certainly your life, but you, I would even say, you know, injury. You know, there's just nothing I have, I don't think, uh, that I would sacrifice, you know, and so have have the money. And, and again, there's strategies, and I talk about this with my students, you, when you, you carry money in different pockets, even in your sock, perhaps, you know, so that you, you always have something. And so I did, I, I pulled out my, I, I put my hand, my right hand in my pocket where my wallet was, because I didn't want my credit card and debit cards taken. And I covered it with my hand. And then with the other hand, I put it in my hand, in my pocket and took out the 20, 30 bucks and showed it to him. He, and he grabbed it and he seemed to be happy with it. And, um, and then it ran off, but it was, I remember, I remember seeing him walk up and I have this, of course, you know, it's, it's imprinted in my memory, right. But looking down and just seeing the knife on my chest and this moment of, I don't know, you just kind of react in that moment. Right. But there was never any question like, yeah. here you go. But I've heard stories of recently, I heard a story in Ecuador where one of my friends, she got, she was robbed and she took off running after him. And then she has this moment of thinking, what do I do if I catch up to him? Hmm. You know, then what do I do? <laughs> so we had um, a, a moment like that where we were, um, a team came to visit. I, I was in the team and we were in this village. We were camping out in the backyard with some tents and they're just kind of vinyl pop-up tents. Uh, in the middle of the night, uh, one of the guys is this like awful snorer. And there's these parables about like, you know, which room the thieves are going to come to, whoever's snoring the loudest, you know, that guy's asleep. So of course that tent, pretty soon someone just with a razor cuts the back of the tent and starts reaching in and grabbing backpacks. And um, these poor Western people, first night in East Africa, they just see these hands coming in and snatching things. And all of a sudden their response is one of the guys just shouts, oh, monkeys, they're grabbing our stuff. And he turns around and they both kind of like startle awake the thieves run off, but in this next series of events, it's just like you're saying, the church came that next morning and they posted like this guard around us as we slept at night and they cooked us meals for what had been taken. And then they had this worship service that they planned, but most of the service became a act of repentance on behalf of their community for something wrong that had happened. And I, I guess that just feels like the much more important story that people are really people. People are good. People have an internal sense of caring for guests and welcoming others. And that might not be always the story, but it's much more often the story than the few hard moments. Overwhelmingly, I agree. I tell people this. We could get into trouble with some, maybe some theology about whether people are good or bad. We're not going to go there. Sure. But I think you're right. Overwhelmingly, I think people want to help you and, and they're there and they, they're so happy that you're there visiting. And again, especially if you make an effort to learn their culture and their language, but even if you don't, and I hear this over and over from people who have been robbed or, you know, bad things do happen abroad and so forth, but they, but it never, it never ends with, 
and therefore you should never travel. Right. So the question then is why do, because this is the world that I live in and I, I get um, emails and calls from parents all the time. There's this fear of traveling, you know, uh, there's this, this sense that the world is dangerous, bad things are going to happen to my kid. I got an email from some parents, from a parent who I was taking some students to Morocco and she sends me an article. Two tourists had been beheaded in Morocco and I had, I knew about it. I had, I'd seen the, the news article. It's been eight months. It's been, it'd been a while since it had happened. You know, and her comment was, why are you taking these kids to Morocco? when you know, in Morocco, they behead tourists, you know, it's kind of the way she framed it. It's like, do they, <laughs> as do, they do, do, do Moroccans <laughs> behead tourists? Uh, or I, I was a lot more careful in my response to her, but my response always is something along the lines of, if you followed that same logic, you would not live in the United States because you would see the news coming out of Detroit, out of Portland, LA, all of the major cities, Chicago and so forth, Atlanta. And you would be terrified. You know, let's, I, let's talk about Americans. You talk about Moroccans beheading tourists. Let's talk about Americans, you know, killing like, one another killing all the time. Other, exactly. There, I, th I think part of the problem is when we start to assume that humans are different in different places. Um, but the reality is just, I mean, cultures vary. But when I think about someone coming from a long distance to visit America, when the African Children's Choir come, they have no problem finding a place to stay. And I can, I can understand what that feels like because I would be happy to have a guest in my home. Um, I just can't reciprocate it sometimes to other people that might welcome me. Uh, if you walk through any place where there's a, uh, someone that looks like they stand out, right? Someone that looks like they're from a different culture, they're flocked. People are asking questions. Where do you come from? Can you have, can you come over for dinner? This is, this is the way humans are. I wish that we could reciprocate how we receive with how we feel received. Mm -hmm. And I think it would answer a lot of those questions. Um, yeah, I, I think that if we could get a, a, a bit of grace for others, like we give to ourselves, I, I think it'd make a big difference because yeah. there's definitely risk. There's right. risk. Yeah, of course, there's risk when you travel. But because you're also putting yourself in situations that are foreign to you. And so you might you might make some mistakes in translation or you might misread, you know, what night is supposed to mean in a different country. But you should still go. You should still travel. Uh, there's a great book. We'll go uh, as, as book recommendations go. It's a great book called Bad Tourists. Uh, mm -hmm. Sorry, Bad Tourist by Suzanne uh, Roberts. I think her name is Suzanne Roberts. Yeah. And, uh, and I love the book because it's all about, uh, I, I forget what the subtitle is, but bad tourist misadventures in love and travel or something like that, you know? And so she's very honest about mistakes that she made, that she's made. Even there's one great story where she finds herself in Prague and she's very aware of how the citizens of Prague, uh, Pragians, I don't know <laughs> how they're called, but the citizens of Prague, how they're annoyed with tourists. And so she kind of vows, I'm not going to be the sort of quintessential annoying American tourist. I'm going to learn about it. I'm going to be different. I'm not going to be that person. But then she falls into the same sort of trap. She ends up trying to get a pedicure. I think it is manicure. I don't understand, you know, these one's French feet, one's hands. There, there's a French one, right? Where you paint it or something. I don't know. Anyway, so she finds herself in the situation where she feels like she's being ripped off and she reacts in what she would consider this sort of typical American way. Like you're ripping me off and this is enough money. And she, but to, to, 
see her or to read her very honestly reflect on these misadventures or on these experiences is very eye-opening. So I, I would recommend that book to anybody who wants to travel, travel, see the world, have these misadventures. They're going to make the best stories, but of course, be safe as much as possible. There's a, um, <clears throat> a Bible book uh, called Misreading the Scriptures with Western Eyes by Richards and O'Brien. Uh, it's it's a really interesting picture of different cultures um, that the scriptures represent, and they're very not Western. And so when we come to the rest of the world, we kind of superimpose our own images upon things and assume it's it's Christian or godly or somehow biblical. Um, the authors go through like how weird Americans are about their teeth, right? That we always want them straight and ridiculously white, but the rest of the world doesn't have that issue. Um, Jesus probably was missing some teeth. This is part of the book. Would you follow a savior that was toothless? Uh, this changes my perspective. Something about that opens up the world a little bit to me and says, oh, teeth are only important to my context. Um, describing the difference between shame cultures and guilt cultures. And we assume the reasons why the scriptures talk about things the way they do is because uh, they felt guilty when maybe not. Maybe it was totally different than that. The book just kind of opens your eyes up to look at the rest of the world and say, oh, actually, God is flavoring all of this stuff in a really interesting way. So, um, and there's something reading. to be learned is what you said earlier, like go in being a learner. Yeah. Yes, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and what you're learning is the rest of the pie, right? Because I do have my own perspective and it's important and it's real. Like I can see what I can see. I can just, I just, I can't see all of it. Right. And so this kind of helps you to realize you get to learn the rest of the pie when you travel. So misreading the scriptures with Western eyes. And there's a humility that can come to that. And part of getting there, you know, you have to go through the rite of passage of misadventures and, mm -hmm. and, and some of these sort of yeah. stories, right? Yeah. Okay, now it's time to spin the globe. Do you, do you want to do the honors? All right. Here we go. Oh, what do we got? Spain. Spain. Let's talk That's about where Spain. You just were. I, I know. I know a thing or two about Spain. Have you been to Spain? You been? I have only flown through. Okay. I had a layover, and it was beautiful. The window was very small, but I have a lot to say about Spain. I would say definitely you should travel to Spain. You should visit it. Uh, one of the areas I'll, I will mention that doesn't get a whole lot of um, attention is the northern part, Galicia, Asturias. Uh, and it's beautiful. It's super green, has some of the best food I've ever eaten. By the way, Spain ranks top three of my favorite food. If we're talking about sort of national cuisines, you know, as it were, if you can't, if you're able to talk about it in those, in those, with those terms, um, South Korea, Peru, and Spain, and the order kind of varies. Mm. So, so great food. Uh, Sevilla is a beautiful town, city, not a super big city, uh, very popular with study abroad. Um, what else can I say about Spain? Castilian Spanish is different than Mexican Spanish. It is very different. I remember I met a lady who spoke Castilian Spanish and she would say, como esta? Yes. And it seemed like she just had kind of a lisp. And I learned much we later get she that. did not yes. have a lisp. Yeah, the, 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 we don't have a lisp. So people who speak Castilian, they don't. It's not, <laughs> because the, the S is still there. It's, it's just, you know, you still say castellano, 
right? But you say zapato. So, <laughs> and there are all these myths, right? Or reasons, beliefs. There's this myth about a king who had a lisp. And so I don't think any of that is true. I think it's just the way languages evolve. Uh, but I'll say this about Spain. There's, there's a lot of variety. Uh, so you can do like the main, you know, stick, stick in the main cities in Madrid with the sort of royal palace and museums and Barcelona with Sagrada Familia and so forth. But you can also go to these smaller towns like Segovia, Avila, Toledo, and uh, you might get a different perspective on, on the culture. Uh, number yeah. one, number one place to go if you just have time for one stop. Where My do you go goodness. in Spain? Only one spot. How many days do I have? One day, one, one day, spot. one day, one, one spot. Day. Wow, I gotta say Sevilla. Mm. I gotta say Sevilla. There's a, there's too much. Yeah, there's there's a lot you can cram in in one day in Sevilla, and uh, the, the Plaza España, and uh, it's just there's there's a saying in Spain uh, or sorry in Sevilla. Sevilla tiene un color especial. Um, Sevilla has a special color. There's a special, there's just a, there's something special about walking around Sevilla. And it's almost, it's hard to describe. It's hard to put into words, but everybody feels it when you're there. And so to walk around, it's a very walkable city. Is there's joggable? just something, it is. It's very joggable. jog through yeah. Sevilla someday. It depends on, on what, you have to go early in the morning or at night. It's really hot. Um, yeah, the, the joke with my wife who grew up in Sevilla, uh, the joke is that, you know, from like noon until four or 5 p.m., the only people on the streets are the tourists. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, go to, go, to, go to Spain. David, thanks for sharing about Spain and about that scary moment that you had. That, I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that. Yeah, no, thank you also for your, your stories. I, I love talking about this because bad things happen when you travel, but it's still so important to travel. And I think we both agree on that. And as always, you got to travel, you got to meet people, you got to try new things, and you got to be safe sometimes. This video podcast is a production of George Fox Digital. To find more material like this, you can subscribe to George Fox Talks on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Our team really appreciates your feedback in the form of likes, comments, and reviews, and we'd really love to hear what you think. To sign up for our weekly email list and to keep up to date with the latest episodes and publications, you can check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.